Welcome to The Dog Show, a podcast for dog mums and dads who like to spoil their pups and care for their well-being. I'm your host, Will Blunt, and every week I interview global experts about dog health, nutrition, behaviour, trends, and much more. Let's sink our teeth into this week's episode. In this episode of The Dog Show, we welcome back canine behaviour specialist Robert Cabral. His theories and techniques are used by animal shelters throughout the US to deal with difficult dogs and help make them more adoptable. He is considered one of the top dog trainers anywhere. In the interview, we talk about why dogs are territorial and how you can train your dog to be less territorial. Robert, welcome back to The Dog Show once again. Great to have you on. Great to be back. Uh, let's dive straight into the content today. I've had you on twice before. The first one was episode three, and the second one was about taking your dog to lie down, which we actually just spoke about a moment ago. Uh, but today, we want to talk about dogs being territorial and what that means for, for an owner. So why, I guess, why is a dog territorial and what does that look like? Well, you know, territorial, it goes into a dog's um, basic drive, right? So in other words, the, the, the dog... Is, it has a, a desire or, or a need to stay alive. So when dogs become territorial, they become possessive over things. And then that possessiveness can come from a host of issues. In other words, it could become from a very an insecurity or from a dominance position. So if the dog thinks, I always say the dog is always um, using what we call a defensive drive. So if a dog runs up to you and bites you, um, that's a defensive drive. We call that a defensive drive. But if a dog runs up to you and rolls on his back and you pet him, that's also a defensive drive, but it's not commonly seen as a defensive drive because what the dog is doing is protecting themselves. So when a dog becomes what we call really a resource guarder, and when a dog is, you're, you're asking more why a dog's protective over you, um, the dog sees you as that resource. And usually, um, again, there's no absolute in dog training or in, in anything in medicine. There is always, um, it's very subjective. So most of the times when a dog is protective over a person, it's from the perspective that the person hasn't put a really strong position of authority over the dog. In other words, the dog shouldn't be making decisions on his own because decisions dogs make in a human world are dangerous for the dog. Um, If the dog decides to run after the rabbit and run across the street, it's very, very dangerous for the dog because there's a street and there's a thing called cars that dogs are not very, very well aware of unless they're trained about that. So when the dog is protective over you, you're looking at the position where the dog is going to bite somebody else, bite it or attack another dog because they're trying to quote unquote protect you. And that behavior um, comes because the person, the owner didn't give the dog enough structure to say, Hey, you don't make decisions. I make decisions. I guess uh, when I first thought of territorial i initially thought of you know protecting the home um but I, I, as you've mentioned there could be other examples maybe when you're out walking and protecting the owner or protecting their food are they all examples of being territorial yeah so so it's it's just territorial aggression you know can be um it's it's a it's a a, a component of what we call resource guarding so they're whether they're guarding their food their person they're guarding uh, a little puppy that you bought you know you brought home or they're guarding um the door when the postman comes or anything like that those behaviors generally on look if we teach a dog protection and we ask the dog hey go protect 
then the dog will do that because if the dog is trained to understand what's about to happen. In other words, I send him to protect and he knows he's going to bark. And if there's more, if the, if he can scare the person away with a bark, that's enough. He's done his job. But if the pressure comes on, he knows he can bite. You can hold on to that bite. And then if that pressure gets turned on more and the person starts hitting him with a stick or punching him or kicking him, he's going to continue to hold on and bite harder and tear harder because he's protecting. It's a job he was taught to do. Now, in a modern world, dogs don't really need to protect because they don't need to bite. They don't need to be, be dominant or aggressive because it's our job to protect them. We feed them. We give them water. We give them shelter. So what need does a dog really have for that behavior? And that is really none. But people um, don't understand that. And they think it's cute when the puppy is you know, is trying to get the bone and you're taking it away and the dog's growling. So they encourage it unknowingly. And they create a dog that oftentimes will end up in a shelter because it's cute. You know, if a seven pound dog is doing it or a six pound dog, puppy, I should say. But when a 60 pound or an 80 pound or a 90 pound dog is doing it, now we're looking at something that's quite dangerous, especially if they do it with the wrong person. They do it with a, a child or um, an elderly person or a person who's not really equipped to handle a very powerful dog. So, yeah, it's, it's, a, it's a position that's really unknowingly taught often, and it's taught by owners that don't give their dog enough structure. Yeah, it's interesting you mentioned the difference in sizes. Um, I notice that sometimes when I'm walking our dog that the smaller dogs i guess if they show aggression or they're pulling or any of those type of behaviors you can control that well the owner can control that but if it's a big german shepherd or a you know a large dog uh it's very hard to control that dog when it wants to pull or it wants to to, to show aggression correct correct and that's what you have to think about you know again it's cute when it's a puppy but when it grows up into a dog it's it's not that cute so we really want to understand that um, we're just trying to skip past the puppy phase and we're trying to train a dog, not um, let the puppy be cute. You know, the, the puppies are cute and that's often their downfall because when they're not cute anymore, people dump them in shelters or get rid of them or just don't care for them as much. Does that territorial barking, for example, when the postman's at the door or any of those things, does that always result in um, aggression such as biting or is it is it a gateway or how does that how do they relate? Well, it, it really depends. It depends on the dog. It depends on the basic nerves of the dog. If the dog understands I'm barking and that's what I'm going to do and I'm going to cap it at that point, then no, of course not. You know, all my dogs bark when somebody comes to the door. Now, if somebody were to come inside, um, depending on the amount of pressure the dog felt or not, they might get bit. You know, But if they came in and started doing things to either myself or my wife or one of the dogs or, or them, then, of course, they get bit and they deserve to get bit. So um, most dogs can kind of cap that drive and know that, okay, somebody's barking, okay, and then I tell them, hey, lie down. The dog understands that. But there's a thing I used to teach at my um, shelter training program, and that was what I called the postman theory. And that is this person, right, whatever it is, the person, the postman, comes up and the dog learns to bark and the, dog, the person puts the mail in the slot and goes away. The more the dog learns that <clears throat> behavior, that I'm barking and I'm sending you away. Now, let's say a few weeks later, a few months later, the postman comes to the door and he has a package for you. 
and you he knocks on the door and the dog's barking and barking and barking and barking and the person's not leaving and the you know there's nobody there to sign for the package so eventually they leave they learned i've put more pressure on this person to leave then eventually one day the door gets left open the person comes in the dog barks the postman doesn't leave he keeps walking forward and boom they're going to bite because they're going to take it up that that escalated scale of drive to go from a warning to a pressure to a, to an attack so People, some people don't acknowledge that, but it's it's. I, I've fought court cases with with dogs that have bitten delivery people because they learn. I bark, you leave, you know. And then when that person doesn't leave, then the dog has to kind of figure out how do I take it to that next level to protect myself. And again, you're going back to the defensive drive of the dog. They, their their greatest desire between reproduction is to stay alive. Food, uh, resources, protecting their owners, protecting their home, protecting whatever is a component of that drive. They, they must stay alive. And, you know, because they don't understand it, you know, they don't want, some dogs will come from a very soft defensive position. In other words, they'll just give their, their roll on their backs and you're going to pet them. Okay, you didn't hurt me. Um, another dogs might come from a harder defensive position where he's going to come up and he's going to bite you and then you didn't hurt him. So in both ways, the dog is protecting himself. And I really learned that theory. I, I knew about it many, many years ago, but about five or six years ago, um, my friend and partner who did um, who did the university program at the shelters with really explained that theory. And he'd been working dogs for 50 years. And I thought, what a brilliant, brilliant way to understand the defensive drive of the dog, to understand that component, because that's really what makes it tick. You know, we always think one is a defensive drive where the dog wants to hurt somebody or protect himself. And the other one is just not a defensive drive, but everything really falls into a, a self-preservation or a procure uh, a, a propensity of the of the species to grow the species. That's that's all that exists in life with us, right? We're trying to stay alive. Right? What what other drive do we really have? Pleasure, but that pleasure is in in staying alive. So we want to. Every creature in the world wants to avoid pain and pursue pleasure. That's it. That's as simple. You can't break it down any simpler than that. It's very manual. <laughs> um, right. When it, it's interesting with the, the dog, though, the, the worrying part about that for many dog owners is that the dog may never be in the situation where they have to increase that level of protection. So that's, you know, if you don't train them in the right way as they're younger and all of a sudden they're exposed to that, you never know what's going to happen. Yeah, and depending on the nerves of the dog, the, the overall constitution of the dog, um, how strong is that dog's nerves? In other words, let's take you, for example. Let's say you were to go to jail and you were being interrogated and you were being pressured. At what point do you finally just crack and, like, you know, try to kill somebody or break down and, you know, and wet your pants and sit in the corner? We all have that. We all have that component. And it's something that, you know, when I taught karate, I used to try to push my black belts during testing to see where they would go at that point. Are they going to get really furious and, and, and get enraged? Or are they going to break down and become very weak and, and submissive? Or the, the greatest black belts are the ones that just, they never did. They just, they stayed that course. And that's kind of like what you're looking for in a dog. You're looking for that black belt in the dog. So you're trying to, you're actually exposing dogs to these situations, like the postman example, to train them. Is that how you're going about it? Well, I mean, I certainly would at a very young age, if possible, make sure that they understand, okay, this is the postman. I'm going to let the postman come. I'm going to say hi to him. I'm going to let, let the postman give him a treat and all that stuff so that they don't see it as a threat. In fact, um, I've done consultations where 
you know, people like FedEx would ask, what's the best way to do it? And I said, keep some treats in your pocket. When you walk up to the dog, just throw some treats on the ground. Every time he sees you, something great is happening. Why would the dog ever dislike you? Mm, that's a good point. So how else do you train a dog to not be territorial then other than just getting in at an early age and giving them exposure to that, that environment? Well, first of all, you know, the, the more you give a dog structure, the more you get the dog to understand that I run the, the I run the roost, you know. So with our four dogs here now, when somebody knocks on the door, they all bark. Right? They're all bark and it's a very deep bark and you would definitely not want to come in the house. But as soon as I go to the door, I tell everybody, hey, back, lie down. And then they must lie down, right? They must lie down. There's no question about it or they're going to get corrected. Um and when they lie down, I open the door, I talk to whoever's there. And if one of them comes forward at that point, they're going to get corrected. I'm going to close the door on the person who's you know, at the door. And I'm going to go back and put the dog back in it down. I'm going to go back up, open the door. It, it's not easy to do that with four dogs, by the way. But it's something that we should have. Yeah, right. But if with one dog, it's not, it's not hard. So somebody comes to the door, especially during delivery hours, I'd have a little leash on them. I'd say, hey, lie down, go to your bed maybe. But I always tell the dog something to do. In other words, I'm not going to tell the dog, stop barking, be quiet, or this or that, because that's not giving the dog a solid direction of what we want them to do. It's giving them a, um, a thing not to do. It's like if I say to you, you know, don't think of the pink elephant, the first thing you think of is a pink elephant. So <laughs> sadly, that's how we train our dogs. We train our dogs what not to do. Don't do that. Don't do this. Da, 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 da. Same with kids. So uh, teaching in that sense is an art form. You know, you have to know how to teach and how to get um, a creature, you know, bought into you so that it wants to do what you want it to do. And that can come through hook or crook. You know, you can do it by being very, very powerful with the dog, which I, I don't advocate, or you can teach it by being very um, positive with the dog. It sounds like it comes back to those basic commands. So if you've already taught your dog, go to your bed or lay down, whatever it is, then you can use that in those situations. Correct. Everything goes back to the basics, right? We always, we can't ask a dog to do something or to do something complicated if they can't do something simple. In other words, I can't teach you to dance if you can't walk, hmm. right? Or you can't hear the music. So those are the basic components that dogs must, must, must have. And Super simple, you know, start with the basics and your dog's going to have a really great time in learning. You try to go through the advanced stuff and you're going to have a problem with your dog. That's great advice, Robert. So thanks for providing all that info about teaching your dog not to be territorial or understanding the whole process of why a dog's being territorial in the first place. Is there anything you'd like to round out that topic with? No, I would just say that, you know, the, the better your relationship is with your dog and the more clear it is that you are in charge. And that comes from, you know, correcting your dog, being physical with your dog, being tactile with your dog, hands on, not saying to hit your dog. I'm not saying to be abusive to your dog, but the dog must know that you can physically control it. Now that that's hard if you have an 80 pound dog and a 110 pound person, man or woman. But, um, it, at one point, that dog is a puppy. And during those puppy phases, I teach him, I'm stronger than you. I'm bigger than you. I love you. I have your best interest at heart. And through that, in through knowing that, the dog will know that it must defer to you. And that once it's inbred into them, they're just going to do it. Yeah, I remember back in our first interview together in episode three of this show, you spoke about relationship and desire as the two keys to, to training a dog to do anything. Mm -hmm. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it, it must be there. The dog must want to do it. And again, 
hook or crook. You know, I do everything through positive association, treats and toys and food and affection and praise and good words and all that. But if the dog doesn't listen or, or, or chooses to challenge that, you know, and again, it's the same thing. If you have a karate teacher and you choose to challenge your karate teacher, I mean, how pathetic would it be if you took karate classes and this guy was a 10th degree black belt or 5th degree black belt or something and you challenged him and he went, no, 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 don't hit me. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. No. I mean, you would expect him to like clock you and knock you on the floor and then you'd wake yeah. up and say, I shouldn't have done that. Right. But yeah. you, you must understand that the person who represents power and authority must have that power and authority. But it doesn't have to come through ways because people will watch this and they'll say, well, he's saying to punch the dog and, and he's unconscious because people always take things out of context. I'm using it as an example that I must have the power. I must exude the power that the dog will respect and need so that he will not challenge it. It does not come through abuse. It comes through structure. And that means you don't eat until I tell you to eat. And if you go run towards the bull, I'm going to grab you by the scruff here and I can put you back where you were. I'm not going to hit you. I'm not going to yell at you. Um, and, and that's a real easy picture for the dog to see. And the, in closing, just remember one thing that the verbal interaction, verbal abuse, yelling at a dog is emotionally more scarring on a dog than a prong collar correction, e-collar correction, or a tactile physical correction. That's how dogs communicate. They communicate through tactile ways and, and pressure. Um, yelling at them which most people have no problem yelling at their dog, but they won't take a prong collar on their dog or, or grab the dog physically and manipulate them. And that's really abusive, you know, but, but they don't see it as that because they think, well, I, at least I didn't hit him or at least I didn't yank him around, but you're being more abusive. You must understand what's abusive to the creature and, and make a decision whether you're going to be abusive or not. And if you're going to be fair, you're going to give the dog a communication in the way that the dog will understand it. It's an interesting insight that I've not – I mean, I think I've observed that before but hadn't thought about it in that way. So it's very interesting insight. So yeah, thanks for thank sharing that, Robert. That's really, really appreciate that. My pleasure. Well, let's wrap that up there. Um, that's how to – everything about being territorial as a dog. But thanks so much for coming on the show once again, Robert. It's been great. My pleasure. Well, thanks for having me. Hope to see you soon.